You are listening to the Missio Tempe podcast. We are a church of missional communities, living as a family of missionary servants for the good of our city. For more information about our church, visit missiotempe.com. We hope this teaching encourages and challenges you to faithfully take up your role in the Missio Day. Hey, Missio family. My name is Ben Eide. Hey, this is Kenny. Uh, and we're going to be talking a little bit about Ephesians today. Um, so hopefully you have a chance sometime this week um, to listen to this podcast, whether you're driving a car or taking the car or taking the dog for a walk or doing the dishes around the house. Hopefully you get a chance to listen to this. And, and the goal of this podcast is really to give you a framework for understanding the book of Ephesians and its perspective for how to see what Paul is saying to us today as a family of missionary servants scattered across the valley of Arizona. So, like I said, my name is Ben. If you all don't know me, one thing about me is I love studying scriptures. Um, I believe relationships are the most important things in life, and I am a ranch connoisseur. Mm-hmm. You can ask anyone in my missional community. Um, we were even talking about it tonight. Yeah. Uh, Kenny, Kenny and I are, are recording this right after MC <laughs> Meal, and we literally just had a five-minute, ten-minute long conversation about ranch and, and what kinds of ranch I like and, and the How consistency and the calories and yeah. all of it. I, I believe it's a very intense and in-depth process. If you know me well, I love synthesizing information and looking at big pictures, but when it comes to ranch dressing, I'd rather go for a deep dive. Mm -hmm. Um, But going off of that, we're going to be looking at Ephesians from a big picture perspective. So let's dive in. As I was writing a quick outline for this talk, um, I was about to hit the record button while sitting at my desk at um, my new position at Scottsdale Christian Academy as a teacher. And I caught, uh, out of the corner of my eye, I caught this little note that had been sitting on my desk for the last few weeks. And it was written to me by one of my principals and he had written, wrote me this note my first week um, at SCA. And I could not help but think just how um, supportive the note was and how encouraging it was, but also how uh, similar it was to what I think Paul is trying to do for us in Ephesians. And um, I'm sure you all at this moment can think of some note, some letter, some encouraging word, maybe it's a voice message um, that someone has given you before and what it has done to shape your reality. And as I read this note, what I notice, um, this administrator has known me for about a week, uh, but his encouragement to me was doing two things. One. Uh, inviting me to receive an identity as a teacher, a part of a new community of parents and students and faculty members that I was joining for the first time, and inviting me into a calling to live 
as a teacher to play my role in the body or in the organization and ultimately to serve my students well. His words to me were that he prayed for me today, that he was grateful to have the opportunity to serve with me, and his encouragement was that I remained connected to Jesus and that he would support me in whatever way he could. And again, I could not help but think how much Paul is doing that for us in the book of Ephesians. In many ways, what Paul is doing is inviting the Ephesians into an identity, an identity that has been shaped by a story, and then laying out the practical and logical implications of what it means to be that identity um, in a story. If you look right in the first couple verses of Ephesians, um, it only makes sense if you know what Paul is doing for us. Um, it only makes sense if you know, have a, have a somewhat understanding of that story. Ephesians begins with Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God to God's holy people in Ephesus, the faithful in Christ Jesus, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. And, and when you read that, you are automatically sucked into a story. Uh, if Ephesians was the first portion of the Bible you had ever read, all of a sudden you're hearing people like Paul and Christ Jesus and who are the people in Ephesus. And what it already assumes is that you know who these people are, right? Or at least you have some sort of background on who Paul is and who Christ Jesus is. And so right off the bat, Ephesians is thrusting you into a story that has already been going on. And what Paul is doing is inviting the reader into that story right off the bat so that they can then go and live differently in light of that. While at Missio Dei Communities, we talk about the Bible as one unified story. The Bible does not come to us as a seamless narrative like J.R.R. Tolkien's Lord of the Rings or J.K. Rowling's Harry Potter series. The Bible comes to us in a variety of forms. It comes to us in poetry and it comes to us in wisdom literature. It comes to us also in these letters. And so in order for us to read it correctly, we really need to know what kind of genre of literature we're reading. And so as we open up to Ephesians, part of giving you a framework for understanding the book is first and foremost laying out what kind of literature we're reading. But don't get that twisted or mixed up. We just talked about how within the first two verses of Ephesians, Paul is inviting you or assuming that you know who he is, who Christ Jesus is, who the people in Ephesus are, and, and who the Father is, right? And so don't get this mixed up. Just because it, it doesn't necessarily function as a story doesn't mean it doesn't belong to mm. the story. Does that make sense? Uh, when, when Paul writes Ephesus, although he's writing it like a letter, he's writing it with the intention that you would understand it within the broader narrative of Scripture. Um, and he's inviting the people into that story, which we'll dive into here in a little bit. But like I just said, the uh, Ephesians is a letter. All right, in the very first verse, Paul introduces himself 
He gives a short little introduction. And if you keep on reading, what you'll see is that the, le- the, the book of Ephesians follows basic letter rules, right? It has an intro, a main body, a call to action, and a conclusion and a closing remark. And it functions just like we write letters and emails today. Um, some of you are very familiar with writing emails at your <laughs> job. Some of you love it. Some of you hate it. But Ephesians is like a long email, right? And Paul is the sender. So if we are open up Ephesians and we know we're reading a letter, um, let me give you a few tips to reading what is called the epistle genre in biblical literature. One tip to reading Ephesians is looking for patterns and repetition. Uh, for example, the book of in the, in the book of Ephesians, Paul uses the word love 17 times. And it's tied for the most times he uses the word love in any book he, he writes in the Bible. And so that automatically, as we see that word repeated over and over again, should trigger something in our minds to either look out and see how is he using the word love or how is it connecting the dots through the text. The second tip would be to pay attention to the audience. Now, it's really tempting for us, especially living in 21st century American context, to assume that when we read the Bible in English, whenever um, the word you shows up, that he's talking about me or he's talking about you as you listen to this. But here's the cold, hard fact. Paul's really not talking to you. As Paul writes this, he's writing it to God's holy people in Ephesus. And there's a little bit of a language barrier here. If you know, the New Testament was written in Greek. And in the Greek language, there is an easy indicator of the singular you and the plural you. But here in the English, it's almost impossible, or or sorry, I shouldn't say almost, it is impossible to distinguish without context whether Paul is talking about the singular you or the plural you when using that pronoun. And so really, whenever he we read the word you in the English translation, what he's really saying is y'all, because his audience is not one person in Ephesus. His not, audience is not one person in 21st century America. His audience is God's holy people in Ephesus. And so when he says things like you were dead in your transgressions and sins, He's really saying, y'all, the holy people in Ephesus, were dead in your transgressions and sins. And when we then take Paul's words and consider how they apply to us today, it's the same thing. It's not me, Ben, or you, Kenny, Mm -hmm. who Paul is talking to. He's talking to y'all, the holy people of Missio de Tempe. You can think of it as like, uh, the new Texas translation, shout out Clopax, you can just insert y'all whenever you see you. So this letter is communal in nature. It's not individual. Um, even the you singulars are communal. Yeah. 
That's good. Yeah. That's good. Yeah. So if I'm tracking with you well, the way I'm understanding this is that we're reading this letter written by Paul, almost as if it's a chapter in God's story. But to understand this chapter, we have to understand the type of literature that it is mm-hmm. and all the lenses that that carries. Mm-hmm. And so we have to understand it's from an author to a recipient, mm-hmm. but also in a different culture than we inhabit currently mm-hmm. um, using a different language. Mm-hmm. And when we yep. acknowledge those differences in the way we would interpret it versus how the people in Ephesus would, mm-hmm. that's when we can get to the core of what Paul's getting at. Yeah. Yes, exactly. And just because it was written to the people in Ephesus doesn't mean it's any less written to us today or that Paul is not speaking to us. But we got to remember the order. Yeah. Right? Paul's first speaking to them and then he's speaking to us. That's good. Right. And then the third thing that I think we need to look out for, and, and honestly, this is probably the most important thing for the epistle genre or the letter genre in the Bible, are transitionary phrases. And the, re- the for example, these are things like when you see in verse 15 of chapter 1, Paul says, for this reason. Or when he says in chapter 2, verse 11, therefore. Yeah. Or in chapter 4, verse 1, when he says, as a prisoner for the Lord, then. These transitionary phrases work a lot like paragraph divisions in an English class. When you're writing a paper, you outline your paper and then you break down the paper and you to make your paper flow nicely and sound super duper smart. You put in phrases like to begin with Mm -hmm. and then in addition to and then for example. And just like we do in English, um, if you remember high school English class for some that was that was more recent than others. (laughs) Uh, But if you remember, those transitionary phrases are helpful in breaking down your argument and helping your point flow from your thesis, your main point, through to your conclusion. And I believe the epistle genre is functioning the exact same here. The rhetoric is functioning the exact same. Paul is is using these phrases, and if we pay attention to these phrases, it's going to help us break down the book all the better. And so I would just suggest that may, maybe it would be a good idea to print off a, a, a copy of Ephesians on Bible Gateway, something you can mark up and highlight, and just circle every single time you see a transitionary phrase and ask yourself the question, where are the logical units of flow here? Now, I've included my structural outline of Ephesians, how I see it lay out in the, litur- the liturgy guide. Um, this is how this is not the inspired order. This is not the inspired breakdown of Ephesians. Um, this is just what I see. Um, but I am, am, am more than than perfect. I am less than perfect. Sorry. I am very imperfect. <laughs> and there is a lot that I still have to see in the text. And so my encouragement is not just to take my suggestion of breaking down the book, but to um, just explore and read it for yourself in community and dialogue about it. Right. But these transitionary phrases, they help us see the breakdown of the book. What we see in Ephesians as, as we look at this breakdown is that I see a clear division between chapters 1, 2, and 3, and chapters 4, 5, and 6. 
primarily hinged on chapter 4, verse 1, where Paul says in the NIV, as a prisoner for the Lord then. Now, I hate that phrase. <laughs> I, I think in, in I think the NASB says, therefore. I think even the ESV says, therefore. I like that word, therefore, much better because, in my opinion, it implies, oh, because of all the things before this, now do this. Mm-hmm. Whereas, as a prisoner for the Lord then, it just, it doesn't, I don't think it gets at the, the, uh, drastic change the letter takes in chapter four. That's just my opinion. I like therefore better. It seems more abrupt because it is abrupt. The change is very, very abrupt after chapter three. So let's start with chapters one through three. I'll break it down again. This is just hopefully for you to get a, a framework for reading the book. Paul begins with praise in chapter one. He then prays for revelation. So he praises God and then he prays, praises and prays. Then he has this little short little blip about how the good news of Jesus creates a community called the new humanity. And then right smack dab in the middle in chapter 2, 19 through 22, he talks about the, the identity of the new humanity or who they actually are in this story that he's thrusting the reader into. And then he talks about his own role and mission in the good news of Jesus. He prays for revelation again, and then he praises the God of blessing again. And so if you see my little outline, what you see right there is that it kind of funnels like a, a, a mountain peak, and it apexes right in the middle with the identity of the new humanity. And you can see the corresponding sections um, are the same. There's praise and praise. It begins with praise and with praise. Um, second thing is prayer. Second to last thing is prayer. And then right between those two sections is a little egg, or a little exposition or teaching on Jesus' good news. And then right in the middle is the identity of the new humanity, mm. right? So right there, it's apexing. And I think that's where it's pointing us. Just like the letter being communal in nature, it's pointing us not to just this idea of being brought from death to life in Jesus, which is great, but it's pointing us to what the result of that being brought to deadness, to lifeness is, and that is this new humanity who actually fulfills the story that Paul has thrust the reader into. Yeah, that's really helpful. So I know we'll probably talk about this over the next two months. So maybe this is letting the cat out of the bag a little bit. But what do you think Paul is communicating in that structure to emphasize the identity of the new humanity in the middle there? Um, set up by good news of Jesus, prayer, mm-hmm. praise. What do you think he's trying to communicate in that structure? Mm-hmm. Well, first and foremost, he kind of, in that praise at the beginning, lays out the biblical story about how God has elected a people Mm. to bring blessing. Um, So he already kind of lays out that story of Israel and assumes that the people in Ephesus are fulfilling that, right? My dog Abilene just joined us through the back door. Wonderful. With (laughs) wonderful Cammie and Michaela. Yes. She's a good puppy. Hey, girl. Hey, Adam. 
<laughs> All right. Um, so yeah, there's that praise in the beginning and praise at the end and prayer centering this message of good news. And the invitation seems to be that in order to fully grasp this identity as the new humanity, it begins with God and it begins with prayer. Mm. That ultimately there is this revelation that must happen and the community is invited to pray for God to reveal that to them. It's good. And so right smack dab in the middle is this identity of the new humanity. And then you get that hinge, therefore, in chapter 4, verse 1, that then thrusts the reader into completely new type of literature, which is primarily a fancy word called exhortation or mm. command or inviting the reader to obey something and he starts talking about how they should live as a new as a unity they should put off the old and put on the new and there's all these seemingly random commands where if we understand it wrongly we'll treat it like a checklist to follow Mm -hmm. but again i think the text is operating like a mountain peak and right in the middle of that mountain peak at chapter in chapter 5 verse 1 is this really beautiful summation of their calling Follow God's example, therefore, as dearly loved children, and walk in the way of love, just as Christ loved us. And so there is this, He Paul walks through in chapters 1 through 3, the identity of the new humanity, who they are in the biblical story, and how they fulfill what God has been doing all along. And then there's this summation of, Paul putting together all of what he's called them to do by simply saying, follow God's example. And then there's this short little blip at the end about the armor of God and how there's this threat to the new humanity that actually is trying to pull them out of their understanding of their identity and calling Mm. and how to fight or or stand against that. And so I just really want to, with the rest of our time, to focus on chapter 2, verse 19 through 22, where Paul gives them their identity. And I want to focus again on, again, the transitionary units have led us to seeing this point. And I want to focus, uh, and I want to focus us on how Paul has thrust us into a story and thrust the, the, the people in Ephesus into a story, calling them no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people members of his household, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. In him the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord, and in him you two are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his Spirit. And that's who they're invited to be in this story. Now, if you've been around Missio for any length of time and you've gotten to walk through um, a a practice as a community that we've been able to do um, for a few years now called the story of God, if that's at all familiar to you, really when you read this, a few things should stand out. One, that the people, this new humanity, they are called members of God's household. And maybe, just maybe, that rings a bell in your brain where you think of God's promise to Abraham Mm. and how Abraham was promised to have a family as numerous as the stars 
who would bring blessing to all nations. Maybe, just maybe, this new humanity is the fulfillment of what God promised to do through Abraham. And then maybe something should spark within you when you hear Paul call them citizens. And whenever, if we think, if you, if you are a citizen of some place, it means that you live in a common region or a part of a city or maybe in more biblical terms, a kingdom. Mm. And maybe that then triggers in your brain the promise that God made to David that a king would come from his line and, and bring the kingdom of God. And maybe, just maybe, this new humanity is the fulfillment of God's promise to David to bring a kingdom. And then, as this family kingdom come together, they become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. And maybe, just maybe, that triggers you back to the garden when God dwelt with the humans and the promises that the prophets made after uh, the humans rebelled, that God would one day dwell with his humans again and walk with them in the new creation. And so this new humanity is, is called, in Paul's own words, God's family, God's kingdom, and God's temple. And those are all images that this new humanity is fulfilling all that God promised to accomplish in Christ Jesus. Yeah. Pretty cool. Yeah, that is amazing. And I could see where each of those different images would have different implications for how we live, how we treat each other, mm -hmm. how Jesus is embodied in our community in different ways. Mm -hmm. And so you can see there how at the same time we're reading Ephesians in its diversity. We're reading it as a letter, tracking the transitionary phrases, following the logical argument of Paul. But we're also reading it within the broader meta narrative of the scripture, hmm. seeing the unity. So we're about, but at the same time we're seeing the uniqueness of Ephesians as a letter and the unity that it holds within the whole overarching story of the scriptures. Yeah. We hold both of those together, right? All right. I'll close with this. What Paul is doing in Ephesians, it's like you're sitting at a movie theater. And let's say, you know, you're at one of those new fancy movie theaters that has a recliner and you're able to kick your feet back and you have your popcorn and maybe your Dr. Pepper. Or if I know this congregation well enough, it's probably some sparkling LaCroix. water yeah some yeah. aha or <laughs> something you know that sounds hipster and cool but really it's existed for a long time just called sparkling water um <laughs> tell us how you feel. yeah and um maybe you have that and you're you're watching this movie and it let's just say it's avengers or back in 2012 come on when sparkling water was good <laughs> um and you're watching avengers and all of a sudden Captain America, he reaches out of the screen, he defies the laws of physics, and he grabs you by the shirt and he pulls you into the movie. At this point, you are in the middle of New York City mm. fighting aliens. You have no time to react or think or live as your old self. You just have to act. And you have to now play your part in this 
new story that maybe is unfamiliar to you, but it, nonetheless, you're there. You can't see anything differently. You can't go back. It's the story you're in. And in a lot of ways, that's what Paul is doing. He's telling the Ephesians, and I believe us today, this is who you are in this story. You are God's family, his kingdom, and his temple. Now go live like it. Mm. Therefore, right? So hopefully I haven't spoiled everything, but I wanted to give you a framework for understanding the book and a perspective on how to see what Paul is saying to us today. Did you have any last thoughts? No, I think that's really helpful. And we'll be spending two months in this book. And so there's lots of nuance to tease out. But I think Ben's hope here is that this is a, an outline for you to understand and explore this book and that um, we can all come to this table as a community with our own perspectives and, and understanding the scripture. Um, mm-hmm. But I think this is really helpful. I think what has stuck with me is the image of family kingdom temple. Mm-hmm. And that's what I'll be hearing some of these sermons and readings through um, uh, through that lens. And yeah, we'll, we'll hit the ground running next week as a community all together next Sunday, mm-hmm. uh, reading this scripture together and, and dwelling in it and, and listening for the spirit. So I think this is a really great setup for that. Yeah, wonderful. And to jump off of the idea of listening to the spirit, the invitation for you as either an individual, um, more, uh, uh, more ideally in either community or in a family setting to read the book of Ephesians sometime this week, slowly, meditatively pointing out where you think the spirit is inviting you to respond um, and what Paul is saying us, saying to us today. Feel free to read it just out loud or mark it up with a highlighter and a pen. But the invitation would be just to simply read it out loud from beginning to end in some sort of communal setting. All right. So I'm going to close uh, with a benediction that Paul gives at the end of Ephesians. He says in chapter 6, verse 23, Peace to the brothers and sisters in love with faith from God, the Father, and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace to all who love our Lord Jesus Christ with an undying love. First time, probably the first 10 times I've read through the book of Ephesians, I never noticed that last, those last few words. But it utterly stood out to me as beautiful. Mm. Um, and I think my desire for us as a family of missionary servants that see ourselves as living in the city of cities of Tempe, Scottsdale, Phoenix, scattered, would be that this journey through Ephesians would lead us to love Jesus with an undying love. Not perfectly, but just a little more fully would it lead us to love our Lord Jesus with an undying love. Yeah. Yeah. Right. So good. Thank you guys. I'm excited to hear all of your thoughts and to learn from all of you as well as we process this letter together. Have a wonderful week.